How do you scale a business to seven figures? Then, how do you scale to eight figures? Then, how do you scale to nine figures? If you've ever wanted to know what it takes to grow a business, then you are in the right place. Thanks for tuning in to Scaling with Samir. This show celebrates and highlights techniques and strategies taught by today's leaders in the business world. I interview the top marketers that are influencing the market, making an impact, scaling faster than their competitors, and doing good for the world. We will dissect what they did to get to the multi-million dollar mark. I'm your host, Samir Al-Kamuni, founder and CEO of Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in scaling businesses. Sign up to receive tactics and apply directly to your business to improve results and scale at fetchfunnel.com. At the end of each episode, my goal is to have you feeling inspired and fired up by learning from today's top innovators, marketers, and entrepreneurs. Let's dig into another amazing story about a unique business, crushing it, and learn from their success and learnings. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to an exciting episode. Today, I'm super pumped because... I think this is going to be a very interesting episode. Today, I'm talking with the partner of Ben Glass Law, who is Brian Glass. But Brian not only is a partner at a law firm, but he runs a mastermind helping other law firms grow. He's a guru in business and leadership. He came into his current law firm where he's at after it was running for 29 years, and he came in and forexed the business in four years, turned it into a multi-million dollar law firm. He's representing injured, injured people against insurance companies. He's helping lawyers build better businesses. He has 10 streams of passive income, which is awesome. And I want to talk about some of that stuff. And I love what he talks about because he says he's in the business of helping people live epic lives, which I think we all want. He's a personal injury lawyer with a real passion in life improvement, which I think we all want as well. And then he's got a core focus at the firm to build a business where people can thrive, which is really cool. And I love that he's, we're going to talk about that, how to build better leaders, how to build your business. Doesn't matter what industry you're in. We're going to talk about some really cool stuff today. So I am super excited. Without further ado, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Samir. That was a very kind introduction, and we're going to do our best to live up to all the nice things you just said about me. I'm not worried about it. I know this is going to be fun. I would honestly love for you to just kind of kick things off and maybe tell the little the audience just a little bit about yourself and you know more about what you do and and more about uh, yeah more about what you do. Sure. So I'm a practicing lawyer in Northern Virginia in Fairfax, just outside of D.C. My specialty is representing people that have been catastrophically injured in auto accidents. I've been practicing for about 13 or 14 years now. And the first decade of my career, I was practicing across town, kind of competing with my dad. Um, and it, we got to the point where three things really happened in my life at the same time. My then partner and I decided not to expand into our uh, to the next office over. We decided uh, we had an important staff member who left and we were deciding, do we replace her or not? And then my wife had a had a really bad third child uh, birth and was in the ICU for a couple of days. And so, uh, you know, I'm staring down the barrel of my career, Samir, saying, if I don't leave now, the world it doesn't align now and let me leave and go practice with my dad, I probably never will. And so four years ago, I left the firm where I was a partner came over, I joined him, and we've been going gangbusters ever since. We've we've grown the personal injury side of this business by 4x in the last four years. 
We've implemented entrepreneurial operating system EOS traction in our business, which has been incredibly helpful uh, for creating vision and creating alignment in that firm. And then this year I joined his other company, Great Legal Marketing, which is a, a law firm info marketing business and mastermind for lawyers. We host two mastermind groups with lawyers all over the country in all kinds of practice areas. They get together four times a year and help each other solve problems. So it's a really interesting time to be in this business as law firms are looking at AI coming into the space, a recession on the horizon, and solo and small lawyers are trying to figure out how do I elevate myself out of the doing of the legal, scale my team, empower my team to pursue our mission and create better lives for everybody that we employ. I love that. And so you literally were competing with your dad. <laughs> then you started working <laughs> with them, became a partner, and then forget competition. Now you're helping your competition grow there to become better leaders and better firms of their own. Yeah. I mean, so in a sense, there is a finite number of car crashes, but if somebody else gets a good case, they're not taking it away from me. Right. And I think good business owners know that the idea isn't the important thing. And so I'm happy to share all of my best ideas and all of the ways that we do things here with, with anybody who wants to sit down and have lunch. Right. Um, because I know that most people won't execute on those ideas. True. And they, most people won't build a team that has the latitude to execute and, and one up your idea and make it even better. And so, you know, being in a room with other, other lawyers and sharing all of this stuff freely has really opened up our business. Um, and it's created a, a place where, you know, people are coming to us with their best ideas too. And, and so we just concluded one of those meetings last week. And my feeling is if I can walk out of a two day meeting with three ideas that I can then hand off to somebody in my business, then that I'm really, you know, taking a step that 95, 97% of other law firms are not taking. So. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I, I'm in two masterminds of only agency owners. And so in theory, you would say those are my direct competitors, but I only learn from them. We only want to help each other. And it's a win-win situation for all of us because, right, we're all learning from each other. We're in different locations. We do slightly different things. And even if we are mm -hmm. direct competitors, like there's enough business. If, if you have a scarcity mindset, then then there's scarcity all around you. <laughs> but if you have that right. growth mindset, then there's always more business out there for you. It doesn't matter what you do. There's, there's always more clients. There's always more customers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious as you've maybe decided to start this mastermind, like what made you decide to do that? Like what, what, you know, where did that decision come from? And like, maybe you know, what, what have you learned from starting that? And what's kind of maybe been one of the benefits to you of starting that? Oh yeah. So, so I definitely didn't start it. It's my dad's business. That's that they've been running for about 15 or 16 years. It started as, as really a Dan Kennedy style info marketing, direct marketing to consumers, um, entity. And that's why it's called great legal marketing. It has evolved now, Samir, really into more of a mindset coaching business. We coach lawyers all over the country on abundance mentality and on getting out of scarcity. And so, so I've come in and, and we're helping to grow that business from um, 200 members where we currently are now. We have a goal to have thousands of members um, because there's plenty of solo and small law firms out here who aren't hearing that message. Yeah, no, it's so true. Um, it's so true. And, and I think that's true no matter what business or, or industry. And 
So maybe I'm curious on that, like what are some advice or life lessons that you would give other entrepreneurs out there, you know, whether they're trying to break <laughs> some ceiling or, you know, get to seven yeah. figures or, or, or what have you. Yeah. Where, where do we start on that? So, <laughs> you know, the, the number one thing for me, Samir, in the last couple of years has been giving deliberate thought to where you want your life to go. And so um, for me, Cam Harold's book, Vivid Vision, and giving yourself permission to go and sit in a beautiful place, um, you know, by a beach or by a lake, and just start to craft out for yourself, what are the things that I see in my future? And without, without thinking at all about how am I going to get there, because that's the restrictor plate that keeps so many people in place, is we worry about well, how am I going to get to the larger business? How am I going to get more clients? How am I going to get that multi-million dollar case in the office? So don't worry about any of that stuff. Your job is to go and create what you want it to look like and then really tell as many people as possible around you. And especially if you're leading an organization, you have to share that vision with the people who are in the organization. And as the CEO of a business, your job really is to cast that vision and to make it compelling enough that your employees care your employees want to want to participate and help you grow it because they see a space for them inside of that vision and they find a true passion. And this next generation of lawyers that's coming up, you know, there, there are those that are driven to go and work in large law firms and go bill hourly and, and work 80 or 90 hours a week. But many, many of us are wanting to be in a business where we have a purpose and we have a passion and where the employer supports that, right? And so having number one, that that vision of where you want to be in three years, and then working backwards from, okay, if that's where I want to get to, what are the steps that I need to take in the next year? And then in the next 90 days, and then this week to get myself just fractionally closer to that business. And so that's where I would start is actually defining what it is that you want out of your life. And I've been talking recently to a lot of young lawyers and to, and even to law students about the decision to join any firm when they get out of law school. Mm. And, and before we go to a firm that does something that we don't want to do, that works too hard, that works every Saturday and half the day on Sunday, like let's figure out if that's really what we want or if there's a way to go somewhere where we're going to make a little bit less money initially, but we can build the kind of life that we want. Interesting. And that resonates a lot because I think there's a lot of just – like you said, right? The 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 people that are the younger generation. Uh, I mean, I, I think even you know our age and, and and older are thinking about these things as well. But we're we're all trying to right have purpose and meaning to our life, of course, and we want to make a difference and we want to be able to go to a place where that fosters that. So I love that you're saying that and how important that is. Um, but. But I think it, it also probably helps those businesses grow as well, because if you are thinking that way and you're trying to attract this top talent and you're trying to make yourself more attractive, right, to just even attract those those team members uh, and those partners or future partners or associates, then like you're going to put, you're going to position yourself in a way that's going to be more attractive for clients. You're going to become more attractive to get better cases. You're going to get more, right. You're, you're going to appeal to more people, uh, in a lot of different ways. So I, I like that you're talking about that. And it's really interesting because I think a lot of us 
lose sight of that probably where we're very, we're focused on the customer and that's great. We should be, but sometimes that becomes almost like too narrowly focused, too narrow minded, I guess in a way, right. Where then we, we kind of ignore a lot of the other things that actually could negatively impact our growth or negatively impact the, you know, what we're trying to build to your point of, okay, backing into like what I need to accomplish in the next week to just slowly work towards my annual goal or my three-year goals. As a business owner, I really think that that focus on the customer is oftentimes misplaced. So I don't know if you pay any attention to this space, but there was a memo that came out by a Paul's Paul Hastings senior associate last week. They they created this PowerPoint to present to the new associates about what it's like to be a lawyer here, and the title was something like "The Ten Non-Negotiables at Life of Paul Hastings." And this is a big; it's a top twenty in terms of size law firm. It's an international firm. Um, and one of the top things that on this list was the client is always right. Um, if, if the client wants something done, your job is to do it. We don't ask questions. If the client wants a mountain moved, we, we move it. And so I, I think like, number one, if the client is always right, you are superfluous. Like what, what do we need? Cause your job is to give the client advice. Um, and if they're always right, like, what are you doing here? Um, but number two, you know, in, in our business, I flip that and I, I say, it's not the client's always wrong, but the client doesn't come first. My employees come first. And I know that if I take a good, good care of my employees and I empower them to live in their purpose and I treat them well and I help them pursue the goals that they have outside of the office, then just by their nature, they're going to take good care of my clients. And if I have a client, so we have like a no a-hole policy in our office. If I have a client who's rude to a paralegal or a secretary once, you get a phone call from me. Twice, you're fired right? Because life is, life is too good. And there's too many good clients out there to put up with people that treat you and treat your staff poorly. Yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we have a similar policy as well. I try to, I try to weed those clients out during the prospecting, uh, you can't catch them all. Um, but I'm with you. I'm the same way. Actually, we, we have our whole entire team go through a, uh, harassment training when they come on board. Um, and it's not just sexual harassment, just like harassment in general. Cause you'd be surprised how many places, like I've had team members tell me even like, wow, I just realized that I was being harassed in my last company and I didn't even realize it because we all think just sort of the sexual harassment. But when people go through that training, I tell them, I want you to be looking for this not only internally, but also with clients. Because if we have clients harassing us, like we're just we're going to cut ties with them right away. So I, I love that you're talking about that. But yeah, I mean, for me, thinking of the legal world, and of course, this is uh, this is TV, so I'm not going to uh, like take that take it with a grain of salt. Like, I think of the Harvey Specters of the world, right, where they're instantly just like, no, the client is not always right. Like, I'm gonna do what's best, what's in your best interest, but you're hiring me to be the expert, right? We have the same problem all the time in the advertising space, right? Someone hires you. Right. But then they want to tell you how to do your job or how to right? But they hired you for a reason. And I think that that's really an important thing to hold. Yeah, I guess like hold true to what you're doing, because sometimes, you know, they it's like they want to help. But then on the other hand, sometimes they're hurting their own business or their own growth. And you're hurting their business by like just agreeing with them or going along with what, you know, what they think is right for their business. But it's actually not. And it really doesn't make for good long-term relationships because it's not, that then is not a 
case or a client that you enjoy devoting any time to, <laughs> regardless of what they're paying you or how they're paying you, right? Uh, we we had a guy in our mastermind group last week who is he's a very very successful lawyer and he has been approached by um, uh, by a very rich person to get involved in highly contentious litigation and he was mm. offered a five million dollar fee for this engagement and one of the things that he came to the group and asked for was should I take this because it's really not in his avatar wheelhouse of clients. And when you take a $5 million fee from somebody, you are, you're obligated to them 24 seven. Right. And, and that's the trade-off. Like you can be very highly compensated for this work, but you're going to give up places in other areas of your life. So ultimately I think he's probably not going to take that engagement. Um, but that's it. That's a trade-off that we all have to do. And it helps when you start younger. Like I didn't always have the, the gravitas to say, even though you have a great case, I'm not going to help you because blah, blah, blah. Right. For for a long period of time, those dollars are very 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 attractive. And, oh yeah, and it especially like if you're a young lawyer just getting out of law school, starting salary of these big firms is two hundred thousand dollars a year. There's no way that you're worth two hundred thousand dollars a year, but that's what they'll pay you because they can bill you out at you know six x that. Um, yeah. And so so being able and being financially stable and being able to turn down dollars to support lifestyle, I think is one of the things that's very important to me and it's not right for everybody, but it's, it's something that it's in my vision, right? Like I don't want to be beholden to anybody who's going to abuse me or abuse my staff. Again, life is too short to, to deal with that stuff in the office. Yeah. That's really interesting because I think it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to like, I battle with it personally, right? We're in this like 10 X, like hustle nation, like grind yeah. it, right? Like we're both entrepreneurs, right? You're, you, 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 every minute that you're not working is another minute you could have been doing this or doing that. You want your team to work hard. You, you want to set the, the bar high, right? By showing them like, hey, I'm putting in all these hours, uh, you know, hoping everyone else works really hard as well. It's, it's a hard thing to, to balance, but then, I mean, you're right, right? When you have the balance of quality of life and you and you set aside the time to you know, not get burnt out or take that vacation or spend time with your family or whatever those values are to you, you just, you become a better, like you, you work better, right? You become more creative. You yeah. are able to, so many pieces to it that I think like we, we forget about when you're just like, working day in and day out on things. And none of that is given you permission not to work hard, right? You have to work hard. That's, that's the ante to play the game. But in my space, so I'm a injury contingency fee based lawyer. I don't have an hourly rate. My hourly rate depends on how good at I, how good am I at attracting big cases and then working them efficiently. So if I take a small case to trial and it's killing my staff, the hourly rate is very, very small. But if I have positioned myself in the market where I'm attracting large cases and I have systems and processes in my office that run the cases you know, through the sausage mill really quickly, the hourly rate can be off the charts. But none of that is, and I feel, I feel like I always have to say this, like none of the marketing stuff and the team building stuff and the, and the, um, work-life balance stuff gives you permission to not be good at the job because being good at the job is how you position yourself in the market to attract all those clients. Very, very valid point.
Yeah, I think I think it's super important to be thinking that way because it is. I don't want to say it's easy to lose sight of that, but you, yeah, like it, you you can ignore some of those things. Especially, I think in the the hustle porn culture, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, grind, 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 and I'm on Instagram with a Lamborghini, and you know, it's when you look around at, at what the competitors are doing, especially in the social media space. You have no idea what's in anybody's bank account, right? Yep. <laughs> so yep. it's very that's a dangerous game to be playing. It's like looking at what everybody else is doing and thinking that they're constantly, you know, two steps ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean it and it's it's an easy thing to like it's sexy, right? You're like, you're, you're like, it's sexy on the other side. And so you're trying to get towards that. And it's a hard thing to like be going after. There. Oh, I'm here. Um, yeah. Can you hear me? My back. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, can you hear me? See me? Hear me? No. Yes. No. Hey. Okay. I don't know. I could see you and hear you. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, you. It was frozen, and I couldn't hear anything. That's okay. It's easy to edit out. Um, yep. But yeah, what I was saying, it, 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 it's sexy, right? Like it, on the other end of end of that, like you said, the Lamborghinis and and all of those things, right? So you see that, but I think it's also true to just be true to yourself. I think that that's one thing that's like we're all totally different. Like on the last episode, we were talking with someone who is a big time investor and things like that. Right. And so like asking him for investment advice, he's like, it's all about your risk tolerance, right? Like you can't, you can't yeah. give someone investment advice based off of what you do and they should go do that because everyone's going to have, right. Something that makes someone uncomfortable might be completely comfortable for somebody else. And I think that's the same in this work-life balance stuff, right? Like for, for like, you know, I don't have kids, so I don't have to worry about like, okay, if I sign off at five, be home for the kid, right? Like that's not something that is I value because I don't have that. But for someone else, that could be an extremely important if they're not fulfilling that, what feels, you know, in, if, if it's an obligation to them or something that they, you know, value to them, like you, you're not happy, right? And then if you're not happy, you're not going to do your job good. You're not going to be good with clients. You're not going to be good with your team. I mean, it is so easy to forget these things because you're like, well, the harder I work, things are going to work out. And then the grass is greener on the other side. But like we forget to just enjoy the ride sometimes. I mean, that's a life lesson I've been working on for the last <laughs> two years quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. And, and understanding that everything comes in seasons, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I do have kids. I got three kids. I, I am coaching uh, my son's soccer team twice a week. My other son's baseball team. I'm assisting that they practice the other two nights a week. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I'm out of the office by four o'clock uh, and it took some work to structure my life in order to, to be able to do that. But I wouldn't be able to do it if I were billing by the hour or, or it would be very, very difficult to do it if I were billing by the hour. And there's a season for that. And then there, there may be a season later on where I'm, I'm grinding a little bit more you know, there's a season for, for saving as you were talking about the financial advice stuff. It, it occurred to me like, you know, Dave Ramsey's got good advice. It's not for everybody, 
Um, but it's good for people who are in a certain category. And then once you graduate past that area, you need to hear from, from somebody else. So really understanding like what being true to yourself, what is it that I need for the next couple of years and giving yourself again, permission that it, it might change. It's going to change, you know, a couple of years down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. So I'm curious, you, you come into your dad's firm it's been going for decades and then you come in, you forex this business in four years. So what, yeah. how did you do the, what, what did you do differently? Like what are some of the growth levers you pulled? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, in doing this. Yeah. So, so every business, every couple of years should bring in new people to look around and go, that system doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing it this, this slowly? Um, because you, you can get to the place where you, think everything is is great. Um, and the practice that they were running at the time was a practice that was really heavily reliant on one type of case. So I won't get too far into the weeds, but um, they were running a medical malpractice practice that had a couple of auto accident cases. And so in a good year, probably 60 to 80% of the revenue would come from one or two cases. And I got into that practice from kind of a volume auto injury firm and that scared the hell out of me because if one of those cases goes south and those are risky cases to take to trial, you've lost 60 or 80% of your revenue. So the number one thing that we did is we opened the floodgates of the kinds of cases that we would take. So they had a limiting belief that if a case is below a certain value, we can't run it efficiently. Well, that was because they were doing a dozen things that didn't need to be done on lower level cases. And so the, one of the first things I did is I, I just said, let's call everybody who contacted us about their case in their last six months, who we rejected for one reason or another, and just see how are they doing? Did they find another lawyer? Did they settle the case on their own? And probably 75% of those people had not hired another lawyer and mm-hmm. not settled the case on their own. So that really opened the floodgates of cases that were coming in. And then the other thing that I did is we worked on compressing the amount of time from initial contact to case sign up. And then from the time that the client is done with their medical care to the time that a demand package goes out the door to an insurance company to try to settle the case. Mm. And so just pulling those levers were allowed us to probably double the number of cases that we were bringing in the door, number one, um, uh, and double the amount of revenue that was coming in. And then the other thing we did is we adjusted our pricing. So they were running kind of below market pricing. Typically in an injury firm, you're at a third of the recovery from the insurance company. Um, Some firms will charge more if you go to trial. Well, they were charging 25% if the case settles and a third if we go to trial. And that's just not sustainable to staff cases in that way if you're working on lower dollar cases. Now, if it's a higher value case, you can make the case that like, all right, if that 7% or 8% is a big difference maker to the client, the more attracting the cases, but it wasn't creating enough margin in the business to be able to operate. And so just having, having somebody come in and say like these three things that you're doing, I think are costing you a lot of money. We're leaving a lot of money on the table was really important. And we're going through that. The other side of our practice is a long-term disability appeals practice. And we're going through that with that practice right now, where we have a new lawyer who's come in and looked at a couple of things and, and said, you know, the way that we did it at my old firm, we were getting these things out the door three times faster than, than you guys are. Mm. And so I'd like to implement some new systems. So 
Um, I think the, the takeaway from that is to, to allow yourself to have new blood come into the firm or into your business and then create an environment where you're giving permission to your employees to tell you when the way that you're doing things is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're not doing that, then, then they're just going to operate your systems and you're just going to get the results that you've always had. Right. Yeah. But giving people permission to come in and say, here's, here's what I would change. And periodically asking like, is there a better technology out there that we can implement? Is there better marketing that we could implement? And we, we had that increase and it wasn't in the whole firm. It was a four X increase in the, in the injury practice. Um, but we did it without spending any more money on websites or pay-per-click. Um, and then, you know, it's, and this is probably, uh, too far in the weeds, but the other thing that I started doing is let me, I'll say it in a way that's not in the weeds. <laughs> the other thing that we started doing, Samir, is is rather than going B2C and trying to market to clients and to people who've been in auto accidents, we started going B2B and marketing to chiropractors, physical therapists, and small medical practices, and people who have influence over the people that are in situations that I need. Mm. Because if you look at one of my ads or or Facebook posts or LinkedIn posts, and you weren't in an accident in the last month, you're not looking for a lawyer, right? Sure. The vast majority of the population is not looking for whatever widget you have to sell right now. And so how can we market instead to people who are running businesses that have that herd of people already? Sure. This is a, a, it's not a new concept. It's a Russell Brunson uh, concept. He calls it the dream 100. Who are the hundred tribal leaders that are speaking to people that I want to speak to? And so we've got a, a print newsletter that goes out to small medical practices about, it's not about being a lawyer and it's not about handling injury cases. It's about running a better business. Mm. And the hope is that we're attractive enough in that message to get the thing opened everywhere. Yeah. Because how much yep. junk mail do we get? Like you get from realtors, like here's the dozen houses that were sold in your neighborhood. Well, yep. if you're not interested in selling your house next month, what do you care? Right? So we want to create a, an info product that's interesting enough to get it open on a consistent basis. And then every once in a while, we're going to mention that we're also injury lawyers. Uh, that, that's super smart. I mean, I'm in the advertising business. Not every, you know, people aren't going to like trust you right off of an ad necessarily. You've got to get multiple ads, right? But I'm going to trust my chiropractor who says like, Samir, you were in this accident. Like, have you thought about speaking to a lawyer? Like I could recommend you to one complete way higher trust factor right there, right? It's it's more of a refer, it's more of a reference, right, to to that. But man, you, you just talked about a lot of really great things. I mean, the, the feedback loop with team members, that's a huge one. I think that's amazing. Uh, the the upselling or, or downselling, I think that's applicable to every business, right? You, like your point of going back and looking through your list of, hey, who, who are people we turned down? That's applicable to every business. I don't care what it is, right? In my business, we turn people down who are too small for us all the time. Can I refer those clients out to another agency that I trust? Can I upsell them a course on how to run ads themselves until they're big enough to work with mm-hmm. us, right? Like you could always find opportunities to generate more revenue and help them at the same time, right? And look and, and, and be still the authority figure to them at the same time, right? And and then uh, I love the the, uh, oh, the what was the other one? It was so good. The um, 
Ah, now I can't think of it. I should have written it down. But I don't know the, what, I, what the third thing that I said that was good was. But I, I love the idea of of the course, right? And you don't even have to sell the course, right? You could just you could give the course away, get somebody on your mailing list, and then hit them every once in a while with like, "Hey, that that course, <laughs> it's pr- the stuff is actually pretty hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of hard to do it on your own. Uh, wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be better if you were just working with us and letting us do it for you?" No, it's, it's true. It's true. And, and I think you find those things in, in no matter what, what you're doing, right? Maybe you're an e-commerce business and it doesn't make sense to launch a product yet, but like, can you do that product research, right? Can you reach out to your existing customer base who, you know, or sorry, not your existing customer base, you're, you're sort of like your abandoned carters, if you will, right? Who, who didn't yeah. buy your product and realize like, hey, wh- where did we go wrong? Is there is there a different product here that would fit your needs better? Is it a lower price point? Like, what does that look like? Um, we did that with like, we had an electric skateboard client, for example. And like, we realized if we sold some a product that was a little cheaper, we get this huge opportunity right and then they also found out like a bunch of people didn't want to buy it because they didn't want to have their kids left out where the adult is riding this really cool board so they came up with a kids board and it sold like crazy mm. right so like there's always those opportunities um and I, and I remember the other one which which i loved which was the which was the time right the time mm. uh from sort of lead to following up with them i think that's so important no matter who you are right it doesn't matter email phone call text message some of it you could put automation in place and i mm-hmm. think that there's a benefit to that some of it probably needs a personal touch point depending on what type of business that's stuff's really important and, and uh i love that you mentioned that because i don't again i don't care what industry you're in you have an opportunity to improve the customer service that you provide whether someone's a customer or a lead or a prospect or whatever there's always an opportunity yeah. somewhere in there to improve that uh experience with your business well and and you know the point that i've been hammering recently is with lawyers and and i talked to a lot of real estate guys and, and lawyers and realtors um you know the client never knows whether the guy down the street could have sold their house for 5% more or could have sold it you know 3 months faster and, and in my case whether somebody could have gotten them a larger settlement or avoided going to trial or whatever right you have no frame of reference for that because you're doing one of these transactions every 5 years yep. every 15 years but you do have a frame of reference for how were you treated by that business and you compare that customer service against every other business that you're interacting with it's not even like so i don't want to be the best customer service law firm i want to be the best business that you're interacting with and so so yes it is it's always initially personal reach outs backed up by automation so if we don't get you on the phone you're getting the automated text and the automated email because it's that's hard to do in a one to one setting um, but it's always personal reach outs until you tell me to stop calling or you hire me. <laughs> yep. No, it, it makes sense. Like I, I love it. And, and I like that you mentioned the ideal customer as well, because I think that's really important that a lot of people forget. Um, and you put it in such an interesting context of not only who's my ideal customer, but like, where does my ideal customer hang out? And a lot of businesses, we forget about this all the time. It's an exercise we do when clients come on board and work with us because like, we're masters at it. And so, of course, we're thinking about it all the time. But like for most businesses, they forget about this all the time, right? They're just like, well, like someone's going to be Googling it or someone's going to be researching it or what have you. Or, or maybe they don't know that they need this product or service. So I got to get in front of them at this appropriate time. But then they still go too broad. And I think if you, the more focused you get with that, it's it makes all the difference 
<laughs> a funny story about focus is, you know, for a while we had a guy here who was running a, a small criminal defense practice and he was writing articles on every criminal law statute that you could find. And so for a long time, one of our best performing SEO articles was how hard can I hit my kid before it's child abuse? <laughs> Which like, okay, interesting, interesting question, but, but not anybody that we want to represent. And so why, this why, are, why are we putting this information out, out into the universe? You would be shocked how many people in Virginia have, have that interest. And so if you're running like a, a child abuse law firm, that, that would be a hack. But for us, like, <laughs> we're tracking all this traffic, but it's not for people that we actually want to work with. Mm. Yep. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And, and it's a tricky thing to do because you, like, especially in this content game, and AI can help me write more content, or, oh, they, they, these are the mm. things that's going to get the search volume or the clicks. Uh, it's got to be relevant because, if, because traffic, traffic isn't the end-all be-all, right? Of course more traffic is great, but if it's more traffic of the wrong, I mean, we, we, we had Kissmetrics as a client for a really long time. And like, they, they were like this amazing blog. Didn't matter what you Googled in the marketing world, they came up through their blogs, their webinars, whatever. But like our retargeting strategy had to be so segmented because 90% of their website traffic was not an ideal customer, was not, was never going to turn into a customer. They sold the $1,500 hmm. per month software minimum, like 90% of the website traffic was never going to buy that, that software. And so just because you get all this traffic, like it's amazing to be the thought leader, but like if you're the thought leader and you're preaching to the wrong people, it, it doesn't help you in any way. And it does take a while kind of to define your message, especially in that thought leadership space, right? Because sometimes the stuff that gets a lot of engagement and a lot of interaction is is either broad or it's off topic for you. And so, you know, if you acquire a bunch of followers, for instance, by posting like a vacation photo, but you're talking about, you know, how to, how to grow your business in a way that you still have to be hands-on in it, um, that's not, a, not entirely valuable you know, two, three months from now. And so keeping that narrow focus on who are we looking for? Why are we looking for them? And then what do we want them to do after they've come through our funnel? I think it's like, is critically important. And, and you can get, you can get sucked into like, how many visitors did we get to the website last month? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I think you and I do a great job of this, but I think a lot of people sometimes forget this too, is just being true to yourself as well. Mm. Right. Cause I think so many people like they see, another business owner or another marketer or whoever doing something. And they're like, well, I, if it's working really well for them, so I should go and chase the same thing or do it in the same way. Yeah. But then they're not being true to themselves, their own personality, their own values, their own business model, whatever it is. And when you, when you're not, when you're not true to yourself in that regard, like it's gonna, it's not going to be genuine. It's like, you're, you're just not going to provide as much value as you could be. Like there's so many aspects to it that I think then started getting missed, missed opportunities in a way that, you know, it's like opportunity costs of like what, the, what you could have done better. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, we, we see that in the legal marketing mastermind group that we run, which is, you know, the question is almost always, well, people People come to that group and they start with the the question of what's the next widget that I need? <laughs> Should I go to this company and have them yep. produce an ad campaign? Always. Should I 
should I go to this company and have them do my pay-per-click? But it, number one, if you haven't defined what you're looking for, none of that stuff is useful. But number two, if you don't have the back office systems to field all the phone calls that come in, then you've, you just set yourself up for, for disaster. So we were running for a while Spanish pay-per-click um, ads in Northern Virginia, and we were getting a bunch of calls, but we didn't have anybody in office 24-7 who spoke Spanish. Mm. And so, so all this stuff is coming through the funnel. We didn't have any way to triage it. Yep. Uh, and ultimately, to his credit, our, our vendor got upset with us and fired us before we fired him. He's like, it's just it's just a product mismatch, mm. right? You got, you're not ready for this. And so we're coming back. We may um, come back around. We now have a 24-7 answering service. We now, I think, have the ability to run those efficiently. Uh, so it's a space that we may look back at again. But you can't look at what other people's widgets and tools are and think if I just implement that in my business, I'm going to have the same success because they might be having that success for a different reason, or they, they probably have better systems than you. And so the first thing to do is to get a holistic view of what are we now and where do we want to go and then figure out what are the tools that'll take us on those next couple of steps. I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to your point, exactly like everyone, you know, everyone comes to us and thinks PPC and running ads is going to solve all their problems. And sometimes that's a growth tactic that you need. And don't get me wrong. I, I, of course, I want all clients <laughs> to be running ads and everything like that. But like, to your point, you grew your business without PPC or anything like that, because you just, you went yeah. back to basics in a way, right? And went back to the fundamentals. And, and I like what you said, bringing in other people to, to have a fresh pair of eyes to figuring out like, what could we improve? What could we be doing better? I think that's really important because in your, in, as you're in those growth tiers, it's not going to be the same team, the same leaders that are going to get you to like that next growth tier. And I'm sure we all lose sight of that as, as the business owner, as the partner, as the, whatever it is, like you it's so easy to forget about those things. I feel like. Yeah. And, and it's important also to get outside of your own industry. Right? Yeah. I'm in a mastermind with, with a bunch of guys. I think I'm it's an 800 men group. And I think I'm one of like four lawyers. Um, and we don't, obviously we don't all get together all at the same time, but, um, but there's no other lawyers in that group really. And, and I've learned more about business and strategy and running running a firm and leadership from that group mm. than I ever have from any group of lawyers. That's awesome. I love that. That's so cool. Um, and so now selfishly, I'm just super curious on the investment side of things. You teased real estate, you talked a little about real estate agents. So now I'm thinking maybe there's a little bit of real estate in there, but selfishly, I'm just curious. I know you, you said you've got uh, investments happening kind of all over the place. I'm curious, like where, where are you investment wise and, and what are you kind of most excited about in the next year or so as it relates to you in that game? This is all, this is all stages and, um, and periods of life. So, you know, I, I grew up reading Dave Ramsey and millionaire next door and just put your money in a stock market and eventually it's going to go up and to the right and stay out of debt. Um, and there's something to that, but, then I started getting into the, like, it's called the fire movement, financial independence, retire early, where people were, were talking about exactly this. Like, how can we save more money? How can we put it into this in a retirement vehicle to the point where we can build it up that we can then bleed it for 4% a year for the rest of your life. Um, and then I discovered real estate investing. <laughs> uh, and the, the trick for me because the tax code in the U.S. is so advantageous 
to real estate investors. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yep. Um, but the trick for me, Samir, has been doing it in a way that doesn't impede my ability to make money at the law firm. Sure. So like for, for somebody who's in a high income job, lawyer, professional, uh, a doctor, um, C-suite executive, like you should not be going out probably and buying duplexes and hoping that they cash flow. Um, and so most of my money these days is going into passive deal syndications. So an apartment operator is yep. raising a fund to go and buy a complex in, in Austin, right? Um, I give them some money, they send me back a check every month or every quarter. And I'm getting better at vetting those deals and understanding what I'm looking for. Um, so I have, uh, we have a, a beach house that we Airbnb, VRBO, bought that in 2021. Um, and we've been kind of learning the process of that. And when we bought it, we thought, this is a really good deal and and it's making money. And God, if I could just buy four more of these, I would be set. Well, it turns out it takes a lot of time and effort if you're the one operating the entity. And it doesn't make a lot of money if you've then outsourced the operation to somebody else. So I got more and more into these syndications. Most of my passive stuff now is, is operators who are raising money, who are sending me checks. And somebody asked me recently, um, you know, it's, it's basically private equity. Aren't they making like two and 20 on that? And my response is, I don't care. Whatever my return is, uh, you know, after I vet the deal and I send the check, I have no involvement. And then it, it just shows up in my bank account once a quarter and I get a report once a quarter. So it's truly passive. Um, and then the other deal that I did at the end of the year last year was an oil lease um, in Texas where I sent them some money. Again, tax is super advantageous. So I was able to write off a bunch of uh, active earnings against my W-2 for 2022. And then the the third of the 10 wells just came online last month. It's now shipping oil. Uh, I am by no means a an expert in this. <laughs> um, and so my, my, my job as I see it over the next couple of years is to find smart operators and to find smart investors and just follow what they're doing. I love like that. Just, just copy. Yeah, I, I, and I love it. And, and I think bringing it back to your previous point of shiny object syndrome, we all have that yeah. problem, right? But if it distracts you from your day job or where you are making a decent living, then like it might not be a good opportunity. I like that. Like, yeah, invest in something, even if it's a lower percentage, but it doesn't take a bunch of your time. I think that was like the crypto side of things. Like, you know, I'm in it, mm -hmm. but like so many of my friends were like, well, I want to get into it and this and that. I'm like, well, if it's this huge distraction for you, like if you've got the time to learn it, learn it. But if you, if it's this huge distraction from you, from like running your business or doing your job or even a side hustle that could potentially make you more money, then it's probably not the best opportunity for you to be trying to dabble in. Yeah. And so that, that took me a long time to figure out. So the, the mastermind that I mentioned earlier is called GoBundance. Um, most of the guys are real estate guys and, you know, kind of, as I got into the, to the Facebook page and the, the suite of videos, like, whoa, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Guys are buying apartment complexes, triple net leases, self-storage facilities. And I'm like, man, I'm going to watch all these videos and figure this out because I'm pretty smart too. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's like, that's a, such a time distraction from where I am best at making my money right now that really what you want to do is be able to ride the coattails of somebody who's, who's already an expert in that space. And in that way, it's truly passive. Like most, most real estate guys will tell you, oh, my investments are passive and I have 
you know, 200 doors that are paying me passively. Well, it's like, no, that's not true because you're operating the assets. So you know, true. You, you built a second business <laughs> to support your, it's not passive. Uh, and so what I'm looking for right now is stuff that's truly, truly, once I've investigated it and sent the check, I don't have to do anything else. Love it. Love it. Um, last question, any book recommendations, anything you've been reading lately that you recommend, or maybe one business book that's sort of changed your life or career the most? Yeah. Number one book that I recommend is Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. Uh, I talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, and I will tell you, Samir, Vivid Vision did not resonate with me the first time that I read it. It didn't resonate until I listened to a podcast where one of the hosts uh, read his Vivid Vision. So that, mm. that podcast is the Bigger Pockets podcast with Cam, Cam Harold was a guest. You could probably find it that way. Um, but that vision got me so excited that I I was like, shit, I want to go work for that company. Uh, <laughs> um, and then, so I wrote my own and I, I shared my own. I run a podcast called Time Freedom for Lawyers where I read my own uh, Vivid Vision a couple of weeks ago and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from that. But, you know, the primary thing for me is like defining what it is that you want for your life without thinking about what does anybody else have and without thinking about how am I going to get it? Yeah. So Vivid Vision. I love that. It's so good. Yeah. That was even like when we, when I tried to build our core values within the company, it was so hard for me to figure out what those were. Everything sounded so cheesy that I could think of. And then I realized my personal core values were perfect for the business. <laughs> and I think exactly yeah. your point with the vision. And it's so important if you're trying to rally your team, get, grow your business, whatever it is, if you don't have that clear vision, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. You have to have that. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. Brian, again, thank you so much. A ton of awesome knowledge you shared. I really appreciate it. If anybody wants to find you, what's a good, good place for them to, to reach out to you and, and connect with you. Thank you for having me. Um, best place to find me right now is on LinkedIn, just Brian Glass. It's, that's where I'm the most active. Um, so yeah, find me there. Awesome. Brian, thanks again. Great having you on. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much for listening to Scaling with Samir. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. We also have snippets of these episodes on YouTube. Scaling with Samir is sponsored by Fetch and Funnel. We've partnered with hundreds of businesses and generated over $500 million for clients using our trademarked Fetch and Funnel method. If you're trying to scale your business, get in touch with us today at FetchFunnel.com. You can also get content that you can learn and apply directly into your business to improve results and scale on our email newsletter. If you are a successful business that is crushing it and would like to be on this program, please visit FetchFunnel.com slash podcast guest. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.